today before uh we started this mm. if if you could compare my cases to taco bell sauces you know how they have mild medium and spicy yeah this one's finally they, like a mild they have mild hot and fire yeah so this is mild all of my episodes with gore that's fire that's like the that's a little too spicy for some people this one i think my episode last week was fire too. your that episode was... was very fire that was out yeah. of your norm fire basically because i know i'm sorry but it was just so important to share it that was tragic oh i completely forgot we actually do let me pull up my notes because i have a very An update? small update just oh, a nice. small one okay and i wrote it down Look at me. I'm so professional. Look at you. Okay. So the really quick update that I had was that why is it zoomed in so much? Oh, my God. Are you still learning how to use my Apparently. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So Melissa Lucio. Yeah. With all of the craziness of, like, the abuse to her, I completely forgot to mention um, on the night that her daughter died she was uh taken into custody taken for questioning melissa was pregnant at the time she was was pregnant with twins she gave birth to twins while she was being held in custody in prison and And i'm pretty sure she was forced to give them up for adoption did they go to her family or anything I don't think so. I was so distracted with all of the horrors against Melissa. I completely forgot to look further into this pregnancy. She did give birth to twins. Oh, so wow. that's 14 total children. Jeez. Um, and I'm pretty sure that they had to be adopted. Well, yeah. That was one of the things. And then recently, um, as in like a week ago, I believe, Um, one of the jurors for Melissa Lucio's case has come out and said flat out, he said, I gave in to peer pressure when I was serving on that jury. Can they be that be mistrial now? Is it is there retroactive mistrial? Maybe only for the sentencing, because what he said was that he did not want to vote for the death sentence and he gave in and he ended up voting for it because death sentences have to be unanimous. Oh, So he's come out within the last few days and he said, I gave in to peer pressure. I think that she needs um, a retrial at the very least. Well, and then there's Kim Kardashian, too. She's hopped on this this as well with she made that. So many people are hopping on this. Yeah. Because we're getting down to the wire. wire. Yeah. Um, Additionally. More than 80 members of the Texas House of Representatives have joined in, like, they believe that she deserves either clemency or a retrial. So that's 80 members of the Texas State House of Representatives. Wow. And apparently new evidence has surfaced uh, about Mariah's state at the time of her death. Remember I mentioned that she had bruises, like, covering her body? Yeah, yeah. There's evidence now. That has been uncovered that she was suffering from disseminated intravascular coagulation. 
Oh, wow. To look this up. Yeah. Oh, wow. what, look what at is you, that? Hype girl. Yeah. I'm uh, like, oh, wow. What is that? Sounds real professional. So basically, following a severe head trauma, such as falling down a flight of stairs. Like they bruise easily. Your body. Yeah, that's it. Your body will bruise more easily because of the head trauma. There's something that has to do with it. And so they think that her autopsy showed she was suffering from this, which means all these bruises that they're trying to claim came from Melissa abusing her daughter may have just been because she was bruising like a peach. Wow. So that's the updates I have for now. We might add more. Um, I'm keeping an eye on it just to see if anything new comes out. I'm keeping my fingers crossed still because that is a incredibly sad case and it would be a huge tragedy if that's how her life ends absolutely so all right well i'm gonna keep keep an eye out still i'm hoping more happens but well, that's yeah what we have so far well and because of that horrible story last week and my tendency to only research and seek out horrible stories. I'm going light. I'm going a little lighter. This is a little, as the morbid girls call it, palate cleanser. And you know, you took one for the team because usually I'm the one that has to do this. Yeah. Yeah. So did I hit my limit? No. uh Uh-uh. I could still do something completely horrific (laughs) right now. But I'm thinking of you guys, which is something that, you know, doesn't come easy for me. So, I was about to say, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, very that's growth. Yeah. I'm proud of you. Well, figure for episode 103. I mean, <laughs> but I haven't done 103 episodes, right? What episode is this for me? I started in 30. This is like 60. 70 something. 70 or 60, yeah. The others don't count. That's still <laughs> significant. That's it is very significant. Very significant. Spent a lot of time together. A lot of time for two people that have never met in person. <laughs> Actually, at the time this episode comes out, we, we will, will have met for the yes, first time. Yes. <laughs> That's going to be so weird. <laughs> We're not posting pictures. Sorry. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Oh, man. Anyway, Good what times. do you have? What do I have for you? So I have a kind of like a, a what and a who and a why for you. That's the best way I can describe it in this case. Do, do we have a where? <laughs> we do have a where. We have several wares, but it's still like, why? Like it's it's gonna be a lot of that. So I don't I'm like just that. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm just gonna jump right in. I will say that this is one of the cases where we don't really have a lot of closure per se, which I know my friend Julie isn't a fan of. She doesn't like like unsolved mysteries or anything like that. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about John Blakely Ruff, which he goes by Blake. All right. So John is from a very socially prominent family in East Texas. In 2003, um, when he was in his 20s, he was an account manager for Verizon And it was during this time that he met the woman he was going to marry. Now, to tell you a little bit more about Blake, Blake um, is described by his family as honest and agreeable. 
Uh, he had a twin brother named David and the entire family, this prominent, like, uppity family from East Texas, they were very close. Blake learned, earned his bachelor's degree in economics from the University of Texas in Austin, and then he went on to study telecom management at another university. So in 2003, while he was attending Bible study class, he meets this tall and slender brunette named Lori Erica Kennedy. And no, you didn't. What? <laughs> this was on my list. <laughs> yes, I did. Okay, keep going because this is so interesting. To yeah, me. yeah. So he meets Laura Erica Kennedy and immediately he's attracted to Lori. Um, they totally hit it off. And, you know, in the beginning of your relationships, what do you do, right? You get to know each other. You ask each other a lot of questions. Where are you from? Who, what's your family like? All of that stuff. Um, whenever he would approach, like, questions about her background, Lori didn't like that at all. And she was very closed off. The only things that she would tell him were that both of her parents were dead she was the only child. Her father was a failed stockbroker before his death. And then she would just go on to say she had a really rough childhood. It was horrible. It was traumatic. And that's how she kind of got Blake to calm down on all the questions. Like she treated it as it's, it was awful. It's, it's a dark part of my life. I don't want to remember it. I don't want to talk about it. And Blake being a kind person was like, okay, you know, we don't have to talk about it. Um, that's basically how she got away with, with not being very open about anything about her other than what was at face value, right? Like what her job mm -hmm. was currently and, and all of that stuff. She went as far as to tell Blake that she had burned all of her old family photos to escape the bad memories. So of course, Blake is like, Ooh, damn, I'm not going to ask you any more about that. Right. Right. Even when he asked her about high school, Lori said, Oh, I skipped high school and went straight to college. That sounds like some BS to me. Yeah, but. Uh, but Blake bought it and Blake was like, all right. And I think Blake was kind of like, geez, okay. But Kate also like smitten because. Yeah, because he liked Lori and, and he was like, all right, well, I, you know, and he was probably thinking too, eventually she's going to tell me probably, you know, as we get closer, as, you know, we bond more, whatever. Now. Right. Blake, who's really close with his family, like I said, they unfortunately did not hit it off with Lori like Blake did. They claimed that she was always, from day one, very evasive and very cold to them. Now, despite thinking this was odd, and despite not liking her, and despite them even telling kind of Blake, like, we're a little suspicious, there's something off. In a few months, Blake and Lori were engaged. So right. their, their dating was short, and then they were engaged. Now, Blake's mom, Nancy, she found it extremely difficult to get to know her future daughter-in-law. So she was trying everything to just to that she could think of that would 
hopefully open Lori up to her, being nice to her, inviting her on outings, all of this stuff, because she she wanted to get to know her her future daughter-in-law. This is the yeah. woman that her son is going to marry. Um, Not so, even to like learn about her past, but also just to get to know her as a person. Yeah. And Nancy said that she would just flat out refuse to answer personal questions about her past. She would even go as far as to become angry and aggressive when pressed by anyone in the family. And this whole time, Blake is like, okay, you guys just, you know, she had a bad childhood. Just let's please stop asking. But the family was still like, no, there's something up with this. This isn't, this isn't right. Right. Now, as soon as Blake's mother mentioned that she wanted to put an announcement in the paper about their engagement as you know, a lot of families do, especially prominent families. Yeah. Um, Lori, Nancy said that Lori snapped at her and said, we don't do things like that. And like totally shut her down about it. And Nancy's like, dude, I want to celebrate my son's engagement. Like, what's your deal? And so right after that, to everyone's surprise, like in a matter of days, Blake and Lori suddenly eloped. They went to a tiny church outside of Dallas in a basically secret-like ceremony on January 5th of 2004, where the only guest was the officiating preacher. And they got married. How? Maybe the standard for witnesses is different there, uh, but uh, like... yeah. I know, I know where I live. You have to have at least, I think, two witnesses, and they cannot be the pastor. Yeah, maybe there was some passerby. I don't know. But it was super secret. They told the family after the fact. And then after that, they moved to Leonard, Texas. Now, once... You mean Leonard? Is it Leonard? Leonard? <laughs> Leonard, Texas. Leonard. Man, oh. you said that so <laughs> confidently. I did. Too. I did. And you know me, when I, I'm not the most confident when it comes to word words, I, but you I were so sure I that was, was the right. I was like, take this to the bank. This is how you say it. <laughs> oh my God. So okay, if I if I put myself in their shoes. Let's give Lori the benefit of the doubt. Okay. That her life really was this shit show that she just wants to wipe from her memory. Okay. I would understand them eloping. Like, this is stressful for her. And I can see her, Blake, being like, you know what? This has been so hard on all of us. Let's just go. Sure. Sure. My family is giving us a hard time. I'm tired of it. You're tired of it. Let's just do it. Sure. But I also think Lori was just like, uh, I think Nancy's the type of person to put an announcement in in the paper. So I'm just going to put an end to this and get married. But although what is stopping Nancy from putting an announcement of actual marriage in the paper too? Yeah. So whatever. Anyways, once they move and settle in, the neighbors are even kind of put off or like weirded out by Lori because she rarely socialized with any of them. She kept to herself just working from home. They saw Blake 
500,000 times more than they ever saw Lori. And so, (laughs) well, I was going to say, it sounds like me when there's a a common joke when I moved into this neighborhood, everyone's like, we saw uh, your husband for like the first nine months. We didn't even know you existed. And then all of a sudden, once spring came, you just popped right out. And I'm like, that's right. I don't come out when it's dark or cold and I don't like people. So yeah, once it was So you can only exist for like three months of the year because when it gets too nice out, everyone starts coming out and you got to retreat again. Exactly. Exactly. I'm sorry. I also don't like people or friends. Thank you. (laughs) Oh man. So they immediately started trying for a baby, like got married, moved into their house, baby time. Right. Um, Unfortunately though, after years of trying to conceive, uh, it just wasn't working. Lori had suffered multiple uh, pregnancies that just ended in miscarriage, and it was it was really hard on her. So after a few years of trying to conceive on their own, um, the Ruffs finally welcomed a little girl through IVF in 2008. So finally, they have a baby, a daughter. Lori is immediately in love, but she is also extremely protective of her. And when I say extremely protective of her, this isn't like, you know, a new mom who's like nervous about things and, you know, all that stuff. No, Mm -hmm. she flat out refused to let anyone else hold the baby other than her husband. Even when she needed to use the bathroom, she would take the baby with her. That's except because I mean, you're a mom, so you know, your time in the bathroom is your break. That is your peace. Oh, I know. You shut the door, you lock the children out. And they still fucking find you. I'll tell you that. Oh, yeah. Like every time. I mean... With how but a baby she is of her own information, yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all that mm-hmm. she's um like not this. even a hell. She's a kangaroo mom. I don't know. Yeah, well, you know, some probably thought, especially Blake's family, probably thought that you know a baby might help bridge the gap, you know, between Lori yeah. and the family. But it did nothing to improve that relationship. As a matter of fact, it made it worse. Um, She would always complain to Blake about his family. But at the same time, during this time, she became extremely obsessed with tracking his family tree and lineage. That's weird. Of his family and who was who. She even started collecting a family recipe book of family recipes. That's weird. Yeah. And so I'd be like, uh, bitch, mind your own business in my family tree. I can't yeah, see especially, yours, you can't yeah. see mine. And Blake kind of just wasn't sure what that was about. But I think at the same time, he was probably like, well, she is showing interest in my family, but I'm sure that was very confusing for him. Right. Uh huh. It's confusing for us. Yeah. Now, Nancy, her mother in law, grew increasingly concerned about this behavior, especially since Lori wouldn't even let Nancy babysit her own grandchild, like at all. At this point, Lori wouldn't even let her in-laws spend any time with the baby. 
There was like, always an she excuse. Was right there? Yeah, always an excuse, always not a good time, always come again, never. Now, eventually, and this was kind of what broke her marriage, she requested that her in laws have zero contact with the granddaughter. Like That's she weird. went to her husband and said, I don't want your parents to see the baby ever again. That's so weird. So yeah. considering how prominent a family they are, that means money. Yeah. And you would think that you would want to keep your child involved with this rich ass family uh-huh. because that means stability for you. That means like her future is taken care of. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and by cutting off your family, what if they cut off Blake? Like what I'm assuming he has some kind of trust fund or whatever, because I'm just making assumptions. Yeah. But like, I don't know. What if they cut them off? And now this it's just weird. Yeah. She's just, I I think she's just bizarre. And I think at this point, Blake is like, he's had enough. Um, so this, obviously, there's huge tension in the family now, even more so than before, before the baby was born. And oh, now, yeah. now Blake's parents are like, this is, you, you need to do something. Like they started urging him to kind of leave Lori, right? They're like, this mm-hmm. is awful. We can't even see our granddaughter. This isn't the family that we have raised you to have, you know, like this is horrible. So Blake wanted to make the marriage work. So he he did ask Lori to go to marriage counseling and they did go to try to work out their issues. But unfortunately, it, that couldn't save anything. Lori was very stuck in her ways. She wasn't going to budge. She wasn't going to talk about her past. Um, She wasn't going to let Blake's family see the baby. And so eventually in 2010, Blake has enough and he moves out and um, he moves into his parents' house back um, to Longview, Texas. Now, after he moves and Lori is left with the baby at their house, he files for divorce and they work out kind of like a shared custody of their daughter. But Blake's family said that as soon as that custody agreement was worked out, she made his life miserable during custody exchanges, sending threatening letters to Blake, threatening emails to the family. The entire family, his parents and siblings, eventually had to get a cease and desist order against her for harassment um, that they endured from her constantly sending messages and emails and phone calls and all of this stuff. Now, neighbors that lived next to Lori and her daughter remarked that as soon as Blake moved out, Lori and the baby started to look very thin and malnourished, as if Lori wasn't taking care of herself at all that much anymore, and nor the baby. Um, A lot of people who knew Lori, which was very few because this is the type of woman that isn't going to let people in, they remarked that her behavior just became very erratic and like she was just, she had changed. It was different. It was a different crazy than they were used to, you know, like there's... They're used to the weird, reclusive crazy, but they're not used to this 
however erratic she is. Yeah. For people who don't even know you to call you erratic, you have to be real bad. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, Then on December 24th, 2010, Blake's father finds Lori's car parked in their driveway. He goes out and looks inside the car and Lori is dead. She has died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Okay. Now, in the car, police found two letters. One was addressed to Blake that was 11 pages long, and the other was addressed to their daughter. Um, And there was a note on the one to her daughter that specified that the letter not be opened till she turned 18. Now, for those of you who are wondering, yeah, the baby is fine. The baby was with Blake for visitation at that time. Okay. So, so nothing happens to the baby. I mean, honestly, um, that letter didn't go through USPS. I'm fucking opening it. Yeah, exactly. To oh, like, yeah, I'm, totally. That's what I'm I, ripping that shit open. I, when I was reading the articles, I'm like, I hope they read that letter. They do read the letter because, Good. as you know, she she shot herself in their driveway. So obviously, the police they call the police and the police come How right did away. No one hear it. I have no idea. I wonder now, if she's like a small, like if she's to 22, they wouldn't really hear that. Yeah. But. And you know what? I don't have the details on what she shot herself with um, because I think as soon as they found her and they opened the letters and other things came to light, I'm sure they were worried about other things. But um, once Blake's dad saw her in the car, that's when he called 911 and it was the police that were able to enter the car you know, when she was in it and they found the Mm -hmm. letters. Um, And they said for the most part, these letters were completely just ramblings of just an incoherent, obviously someone who is not in the right state of mind. And unfortunately the letters were, they, it offered nothing, no clues about why she did this no clues about her past, nothing. It was as the police just des- pages. Yeah. Of nothing of rambling as the police described them. It was, and I quote ramblings from a clearly disturbed person, but it offered zero clues to anything substantial as to why we, or how. Do we have any like excerpts from the letter? We don't. And I looked, yes, and we do not. Yeah. I'd just be interested in knowing, like, what she was rambling about. What she said. After Lori's death, you know, obviously everyone is kind of in shock, but also not surprised just because at the rate she was, you know, the way she was acting after the divorce. Um, So Blake and his family went to clear out their former home where Lori had lived during the last, you know, days of her life with their daughter. And they walked in and the house was a complete disaster. There were dishes piled up, shredded paper everywhere. When I read that note, like that there was shredded paper everywhere for some reason, I just thought of like a hamster dwelling with like... (laughs) With like just shredded newspaper. And I was like, this probably wasn't that much, but there was probably a lot. Um, Then when they were clearing out the master bedroom, Blake found a lockbox that he had seen before, 
but that Lori had made him swear never to touch or open ever. So that's weird. Obviously, when he sees this lockbox, what is he going to do? I'm going to open it. Right. So they open the lockbox and they found a ton of court documents and a ton of other things. But they were like, this is it. We've discovered her secret. Like this holds the key. Unfortunately, it just led to more questions. Inside the lockbox was several different state IDs, all with Lori's pictures on them from different ages. There was also a birth certificate in there that wasn't Lori's or anyone they knew. And the name on the birth certificate was Becky Sue Turner, which they're like, Becky Sue Turner? Who's that? So immediately the police are like, okay, what is going on here? They look into every possibility as who Lori actually was, because now it's, they're starting to realize maybe Lori wasn't exactly Lori, because like I said, there were several IDs in there with different names. There Mm -hmm. was Becky Sue Turner. There was Lori Kennedy. There was Lori Ruff. And so they were like, what is happening? So they began to wonder, is she some sort of KGB agent? Is she ex-military gone AWOL? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they they were going for everything. Is she like a runaway from a polygamous cult or an abusive partner? Like, is she a part of the witness protection program? Maybe she was someone that had like a gambling addiction or a sex addiction and had to go into hiding. I mean, all they were just like throwing out all these possibilities, which I would too, because now... If I realize that the person I married wasn't actually the person I married, I've seen enough TV to my brain would go to KGB uh, as well. So on September 1st, 2011, the Social Security Administration opens up an investigation to figure out who she actually is, because now it is just an investigation into Jane Doe. Like they want to positively identify her and and Mm -hmm. who who she is and who she was. So. Initially, their first thought is, oh, she's Becky Sue Turner. We have the birth certificate. The ages kind of match up. So let's look into that. So as Blake and the police investigated closer, they actually discovered that Becky Sue Turner is the name of a little girl who died in 1971. So apparently Lori or whoever she was used that identity as a means to gain a new identity. Now I was going to say creepy Lori is just uh, yeah, getting collecting weird things. Yeah. So investigators were able to trust tres tres cuatro cinco seis. Investigators were able to trace several links back into the history of Lori's false identities, but they still didn't know who she was and to be honest it was just a series of dead ends. And yeah. Lori was basically an identity thief who remained unidentified for nearly six years after her death. Then Mm -hmm. in 2016, with the help of a forensic genealogist named Genealogist. Whatever the fuck. Who the fuck cares, Chris? No, I think (laughs) if I let you Ledard, Ledard, Texas. 
Leonard. Leonard. Um, if I let you say genealogist, do you know how many messages we would get? I am protecting you. What is it again? It's a genealogist. Genealogist. But isn't it, doesn't genealogist sound better? No, because it's genealogy. <laughs> Okay, fine. For all you fancy people out there, with the help of a a genealogist, her name is Colleen Fitzpatrick. And actually, this is pretty cool. She also helped or has helped Holocaust survivors search for their family members and adoptees find their birth families, as well as estate lawyers track down their heirs. And actually, famously, she is credited with finding... um, the uh, the identity of a child who died on the Titanic in 1912. And, That's pretty cool. Yeah, and she does this all through DNA and like family tree searches. Exactly, and stuff like that. exactly. So through some DNA taken from Blake and Lori's daughter, Colleen was able to trace that DNA to a family on the East Coast. And then Lori's real identity was finally revealed. Okay. Her name was actually Kimberly McLean. And they were able to trace that back to a family in Pennsylvania. Now, when the police and Colleen showed up and presented relatives in Pennsylvania with Kimberly's Lori slash Kimberly's photo, they all knew exactly who she was. That's so crazy. Yeah. They're like, oh my gosh, that's Deanne's daughter who vanished more than 30 years ago. And they actually, when they tracked Deanne down, because first they tracked it down to a cousin who knew another cousin and they all knew who the picture was. And then they finally tracked down her mother. Mm. Um, Deanne would take a DNA test to make sure it was a match and it was 100% a match. So Kimberly Maria McLean, a.k.a. Lori Erica Kennedy Ruff, was actually born on October 16th, 1968. When she was 17 years old, she was living in suburban Philadelphia with her father, her mother, and her sister. Now, Deanne, her mother, was a stay-at-home mom that raised both of the girls, and her father was a carpenter and a volunteer firefighter. Now, she had a fine childhood. Like I mean, that sounds fine to me. There was nothing traumatic that happened. If you count getting divorced, you know, something that could be traumatic, which it is to a lot of kids, but that's what happened. When she was a teenager at that time, her parents did divorce. And then Deanne quickly met another man named Robert Becker and she remarried. So Deanne and her two daughters moved to Wincote, Pennsylvania, where Kimberly attended Bishop McDevitt High School. Now, Kimberly did not get along with her new stepfather at all, and she didn't adjust to kind of the new rules in the new household. Um, From reading a couple of things, I got the feeling that uh, her dad was a little more lenient, and then the new man that Deanne married, Robert Becker, wasn't. 
So there was a lot. She just, I think she was also very upset that her parents got a divorce. The fact that her mom remarried quickly and the fact that she just couldn't adjust to any new rules. So in the fall of 1986, she left home and she moved to King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, which I didn't even know was a place, about a half an hour away from her mother and her mother's new husband. She kept in contact with mom. They would talk frequently. And then one day, just abruptly, she told her mom that she was leaving the area for good and to not come looking for her. She's like, I'm leaving. The mom's like, where are you going? She's like, I'm not going to tell you. Please don't look for me. Please don't try to search for me. And she left. And I guess if if someone was going to disappear from my life, I would prefer that. Yeah. Rather than just disappearing because then I don't know what the hell's going on. Yeah. I'm going to hunt you down and I'm going to find you and we're going to stand on your porch while you awkwardly look at me because you won't answer my questions. Exactly. And at this point, a memory (laughs) at this point, she's, she's an adult. She's 18. Right. And this is like, so they're, they're not going to file missing persons report because technically she's not missing. She's, willingly leaving yeah yeah so so they didn't look for her and they just hoped the family said that you know mom would try to like get in contact with her but she never could and so they just spent the next 30 years hoping she was alive and safe and that maybe she would contact them at some point but what a shitty thing to do to your family. Yeah. But they kind of just were like, she just, okay. So they eventually discovered that what had happened was two years after she left home, it was pieced together that she lived in Idaho, California, and Vegas before settling in Texas and eventually meeting Blake. In May of 1988, while in California, That's when she got her hands on the birth certificate of Becky Sue Turner. So back in those days, apparently, you can contact any county you wanted, say a name, and they would mail a copy to whoever asked. Obviously, nowadays, they do not do that. But back then, that was a thing. You could be like, hey, I need Becky Sue's um, birth certificate, and they would send it to you. Now, weird. And this is what's sad. Becky Sue Turner, the real Becky Sue Turner, was born in Bakersfield on July 18th, 1969 at Kern County General Hospital. She was born to Terry Turner and Rosemary Weber, but she later died in a house fire in Fife, Washington, with her two sisters in 1971. Yeah. She was only two years old. Now. Since the original Becky Sue Turner was born in one state and died in another, it was super easy for Kimberly slash Lori to use that identity because it really reduced her chances back then of being flagged in any database because she, Becky Sue was born in California, uh, but died in Washington. Mm hmm. So and back then, different systems, I mean, yeah, they weren't, they weren't synced. Don't really talk to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Then in 1988, Kimberly was able to get an Idaho ID card in Boise using Becky Sue's name and Social Security. 
Then she traveled to Dallas where she legally changed her name from Becky Sue Turner to Laura, Lori Erica Kennedy. So she's basically state hopping to cover up the tracks of being able to use this identity and do various things because, like you said, the database doesn't link up, right? uh, Granted, there could have been something that happened that she wanted to run from. Maybe she got on the wrong side of the Pennsylvania mafia or like the (laughs) Dutch were after her. I don't know. And unfortunately, no. There's like, well, you'll find out. So she then traveled to, um, oh, so then in 1989, she used this new name to obtain a driver's license in Texas. And that is where she listed her age as 19, although it has been disputed that she was older than that. So if she says in 1989 that she was 19 and she was originally born in 1968. Why is she, the legal drinking age is 21. Why is she making herself younger? I don't think she was interested in drinking. I think she was just interested in being younger and reinventing herself. Anywho, um, in 1990, she was able to get her GED and attended a community college that did not require high school transcripts. And she was able to graduate with a business of administration degree from Texas University in Arlington in 1997. And from there, that's where she meets Blake. And then the whole story starts. Unfortunately, even though the police and Blake and his daughter now knew the truth of her actual identity, there were still many, many unanswered questions like, why? Like, why did Lori slash Kimberly do this? Why? And it's still unclear, even when you speak to Deanne to this day and uh, the family that she fled from, they still don't. No one knows. She didn't have a bad life. Her parents got a divorce and she didn't like her new stepfather. That is the only thing that they can wrap their brain around that they can think of. It's just so strange. I won't even like I can't move because I don't I don't want to pick up and move. How mm-hmm. do you willingly cut off everything for no reason? That's what I was thinking after I was researching this case. I mean, have there been times where I just want to like I think everyone has that fantasy, right? Where like, I wonder what it'd be like if I just like left and just, just started like, a new life. Yeah. There is no way. I could ever do that. Like, first of all, it's there so is too much, much work. work. Yeah, there's oh too much God, work involved. So much work. And, I'm lazy. I yeah, can't do this. Yeah. And if I can't remember people that I meet their names, how am I going to remember the name I changed it to? Right. I, I like I'm, that's just not going to go well for me. So, you know, again, This is very unsatisfying because we don't know why. And then in September of 2016, after this was just all, you know, ironed out, uh, her case was officially closed and Lori Ruff's name was removed from the federal database of missing and unidentified persons because that's what she became after they realized that wasn't her name. And she even was known as Jane Doe for a little bit. So one good thing that came out of this is I, I read that Lori or Kimberly and Blake's daughter 
does keep in contact with some of her mother's family back east. Good. So I thought that was really nice because, I mean, that's a whole side of her family tree that she never even knew existed. And I'm sure that's really nice for her to have some light on that, you know, to. So if she ever has questions about, you know, I don't know. She has a whole other if family. She has, she has a, a grandmother issue. Yeah. Yeah. If she has health, I, that's what I was thinking. I mean, if I was Blake when he and Lori were trying to have children, that's the first, I would be like, I need to know your genetic history at the very least because I need to know what you got going on. With yeah. You. Yeah. So that was my very mild salsa story on um, this Lori. Erica, Kennedy, Ruff, Kimberly, Becky, identity ghoster. Yeah. yeah. To ghost your whole family like that, though, that's a little, like, yeah, I'll give you guys a call. Bye. See you later. Never. Bye. Yes. I cannot fathom doing that. Yeah. No, I think it's very odd. I have to tell you, um, I'm grateful you didn't mention any of the weird notes from inside the lockbox. Because I've heard other podcasts, I think Generation Y spent like 40 minutes talking about these weird notes. Oh. And like, they're handwritten scribbles. Yeah. I don't, I'm not interested in I, that. I, that's, yeah, because I heard, I read about it and I'm like, but did it say anything? No. I think the, the letters in the lockbox were as incoherent as the letters she left in the car. Yeah. So there's like no point to them. And I get the family maybe wanting some closure and yeah. wanting to know what they mean. And so the family can speculate all they want yeah. but at a certain point. Like, it's not going to do anything for you. No. Uh-uh. No. So, yeah, thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. For that, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I do what I can. <laughs> I do what I can. But I am coming back. Don't think like Giselle. Oh, fuck. Don't think Willa, Kat, Lori, Kimberly, Becky, Sue, whoever I am. Don't think. That's what we should do. We're just going to give you like 20 names and every now and then we'll add another to the end of it. (laughs) Don't think that I'm going soft on y'all. I just needed, I needed to give you a little palate cleanser. So you're fucking welcome, everybody. Yep. And I have, um, you know what? You are going to love my next case. All the tea spilling everywhere. Oh, I love it. it. I love it. I can't wait. Yes. This is, it's a very, um, like, it's very Lifetime movie. Mm, I love a good Lifetime drama. Yes. Yes. You are going to like this. Awesome. Well, I can't wait. Yep. So we will see everyone next week. Good. Um, Bye. Good. Goodbye. Goodbye. Let's say that together. Good. Good. Bye. Ugh, we failed at that. I don't know what you want. Just from me. Yeah, I don't want anything. Leave me alone. Go. Pasvidanya. Arrivederci. Oh, no. Just cut me off. Arrivederci. Cut me off right now, please.